every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Tyler Lessard, VP of Marketing and Chief Video Strategist of Vidyard, a video platform for marketing and sales video hosting. Tyler has over 15 years of experience in B2B marketing, sales enablement, content marketing, brand, and video. He's also the distinguished author of The Visual Sale. On this episode, Tyler breaks down how to effectively use video to generate demand, why video chops need to be in every marketer's toolkit, and how to be cost-effective and make videos at greater scale. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Tyler Lesser, VP of Marketing and Chief Video Strategist of Vidyard, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Casmine Studios, and today we are joined by a special guest. Tyler, how are you? I am very well, thanks. It is a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. Excited to talk about Demand Gen, talk about videos talk about Vidyard. So let's get into it. What was your first job in marketing? Well, I actually spent about 10 years at BlackBerry out of school. And for those of you in the younger generation listening, I'm not talking about the fruit. I'm actually talking about the original smartphone prior to the iPhone and Android. And I actually started there as a software developer. And I quickly realized while I was there that I was not a good software developer. And I was actually much better at working with people And I ended up growing in a role of managing a developer relations team where I was able to then actually build an external developer community who were building apps for Blackberries. And that was actually, without knowing it, my entry point into marketing where I was not only building this community and I was managing these relationships, but I was ultimately starting to act as an evangelist for the platform. So that's really where I got my start to uh, a now what I would call about a almost 20 year career in marketing. Yeah, and so flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about your role at Vidyard. So I joined Vidyard about eight years ago as VP Marketing. And at that time, we were about 35 people. I had a marketing team of seven, and I built out the breadth of our marketing program. So I had the opportunity to really build it up as a startup and as a scale up and look across our various programs and figure out all those hacky ways in a young company of how to generate demand, how to insert yourselves into the conversations and how to get scrappy to close as much business as you could. Fast forward to today, I still sit in the role as VP marketing. I focus most of my personal efforts on our corporate communications, our community building, and our content and media strategies as ways to really build out a broad audience in the communities that we serve. And it's it's been a really, really interesting area the last few years. So it's been exciting. Let's go to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? 
This is where you and you can go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest <laughs> demand gen secrets. What does Vidyard do? So Vidyard is a suite of video technologies for marketing and sales teams. We enable marketing teams to host, manage, publish, and track their online video content in ways that better align with their marketing goals and lead and demand gen goals. And on the sales side, we make it easy for any sales rep to record and send custom video messages as part of their outbound prospecting or communications with clients. So it all centers around there, but our focus is on those marketing and sales audiences. And so when it comes to your customers, obviously mm -hmm. marketing and sales personas being, being key parts of that, what types of companies buy Vidyard? Our traditional sweet spot is B2B tech companies, SaaS software companies. But that makes up actually slightly less than half of our overall base. We have seen a lot of growth in areas like financial services, where there is a, a growing need to be more digital in their approach to both marketing and sales and to create more personal human and online content. We see other industries that have considered purchase or B2B backbones to them. So everything from professional services to manufacturing, distribution, and logistics. So it's very cross-industry at the end of the day, but it tends to be those organizations who are a little bit more forward-thinking in how they approach marketing and sales and are really leaning in on adopting digital technologies and things like video. What does that buying committee look like? Who's, who's signing the dotted line? Who's in that room? looks a little bit different in every account. Is that a fair answer for That's you? That's fair, yeah. It's, uh, it's a really interesting challenge for us, actually, because in the world of video in a business, there isn't a consistent or well-adopted or status quo sort of approach or framework in organizations, right? So if we were selling social media technology, we'd be selling to the social media manager and likely their boss or the VP of marketing. If we were selling a content management platform, we'd have a very specific buyer. But in the area of video, video hosting, video content management, the interesting thing is that a number of different teams have a stake in it, but often very few have ownership over it. So sometimes we are selling to the content marketing team who sees video as a part of their content mix. Sure. Sometimes, and actually more frequently, it may surprise you to hear, but we sell to the demand gen manager or the demand gen leader because they are the ones who are more tied and interested in the analytics, which is a big part of what we do, and saying, hey, we're putting out more video content as part of our demand programs. I want to make sure I can track and know who's watching these videos, how long they're engaging, and use that to fuel my lead scoring. So we often sell to the demand gen manager. In other cases, it might be social media. In other cases, it might be the sales leadership or sales enablement who are rolling video tools out to their sales teams. So it's a really interesting mix for us. We often have different stakeholders and it does create some, some real challenges and opportunities for us as a marketing team. And then how do you structure your marketing team to go acquire new business? So as we, we grew up, if, I'll, uh, if I can say, as we, as we grew up as sure. a marketing team, to go back a little bit, we started as a very sort of single centralized marketing team. As we grew to about 15 people or so, we had a core demand gen manager, we had core product marketers, we had core content creators, and a couple of other roles. And at that time, though, we were really focused on one or two main audiences. But as the years went on and as we grew up, we recognized the need to segment and target many different audiences at the same time as we were scaling. And that was one of the biggest challenges, frankly, over the last number of years as a marketing leader was figuring out how to efficiently and effectively 
scale those teams with a combination of central services, things like content, PR and comms, product marketing, but then overlaid with segment and tier focused demand gen teams and, and digital marketing teams. So today we now have an overall segment marketing team where we have folks who are focused on our commercial segment. We have folks focused on our emerging or small business segment. We have folks who have expertise and ownership over our marketing audience and our sales audience. We also have folks who then overlay and have geographic responsibility for outside of North America where we run specific targeted programs. So that's been a really big, important part of how we've grown the team. And in addition to that, again, things like product marketing, content marketing, digital marketing, act as central services who are running their own strategies, but also supporting those segment teams. And then how does demand fit into that? What is your demand strategy? In our world, it's actually become really, really interesting because we are both a top-down enterprise sales motion as well as a bottoms-up product-led growth or freemium or PLG motion within our business. And we started as an enterprise sales platform. So we focused largely on higher-end demand gen programs, targeting key types of segments, doing lots of events, doing lots of webinars, things like that to build relationships and bring in opportunities for our sales team. But about two to three years ago, we fully embraced the product-led growth strategy. We have freemium products for both marketing and sales audiences out there today. And now a lot of our demand programs revolve around driving targeted users still, but to adopt our free tools. And then we invest in the techniques that we need to create product qualified leads as part of that strategy. So we now have both these dual strategies working together. We have the PLG motion where we are driving free users within our target base and then tracking on the back end. What are they doing in the product? Who's showing interest? Who's actually showing propensity? Where do we find cohorts of users across a single business? And how do we then bring them over to a sales opportunity? But at the same time, for our larger commercial business, we're doing a lot more account-based marketing programs, targeted programs into our top 100, 1,000 key accounts, and partnering very closely with the sales team on those. So it's actually a lot of fun to have these complementary top-down and bottoms-up demand programs that are running in parallel. And that's been a really big learning curve to figure out how to make those things work and gel together and frankly not compete. Yeah, totally. It's such a fascinating use case to try to figure out where those two worlds intersect. And when anyone can just try before you buy, which is obviously a good thing in a lot of ways, but it also has a negative effect of like, hey, why would we sign this X amount of dollar deal, this big dollar deal to get our whole company on this when we can just premium it for a little while and, and see if it's working? Yeah, no, it's absolutely, it's, it's interesting. And it's an added challenge when you started with that enterprise model and then you adopt this in your sales team frankly, they freak out, right? They go, well, wait a minute here. This isn't how I've done things in the past. You're now, again, having all the people I'm prospecting starting to use the free tools. But the real magic, the real magic happens when, number one, you do proactively partner with the sales team and you get to the point where sales is actually encouraging their prospects to try out the free tools as part of the process when they're engaging them. But equally important is, building out the mechanics behind the scenes in the product itself to make sure that that qualification is happening even faster than it used to in the old world where we would say, hey, somebody signed up for a webinar. They're a qualified lead, right? That happened very quickly. But in the, in, in the product-led world, 
the, the problems happen when you say, great, we're going to drive people to the free product and then we're going to hope they convert, right? That's when the sales team is like, oh, I'm not going to sit here and wait for somebody to raise their hand and say, I'm interested in your enterprise product. Tell me more, yeah. right? The real magic is when you can actually instrument things and use all those signals behind the scenes. When you can automate identifying, hey, there are more than three different users at the same account, that adds to the lead scoring model to say, hey, this account is now showing a greater propensity to move forward and they become qualified leads or a qualified account. That's when the magic starts to happen and the sales team gets excited about it because they can say, oh my goodness, I can get leads popping up that I know have used the product, that have multiple free users, that have people that are using it more actively than many others. They can get all these great signals and it becomes um, a really interesting model that you can scale really, really well. And so what about that VP of sales who's sitting there and is like, hey, as soon as they hit try product, they authenticate through Google, we should be hounding them to, to try to see if they want to buy. Like, what if you have the yeah. overzealous salesperson who, who really wants to, to slam on the gas? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that happens and that happens early on in the process typically. But what you'll start to find, hopefully, if you can hit the kind of scale that you're going for, is that both marketing and sales recognize that that's just not an efficient process to go through. And that's where making sure that you're thoughtful in how you're building those triggers and that data on the back end you know, becomes so, so important because sales really actually doesn't want to spend their time just talking to every free user. Yep. Right? They'll learn very quickly that 90% of them are completely unqualified. So you have to go into it with that strategy of knowing, okay, as we turn on a freemium product strategy, it's not just about getting free users. It's about that being a mechanism to identify and pre-qualify those who are most likely to convert into a business customer. And you have to build that into your systems, right? As you're building that freemium product, your development team needs to be thinking about that and saying, okay, what do we need to be able to track in the product that are going to be signals for our sales team to understand who's actually leaning in? How do we build in levers where one person can recommend it to another person in their company so you can create that viral adoption, get multiple users, which then again shows a greater likelihood of them to move into a sales process. So all those little things work together. And that's where like as a marketing leader, I get really excited when we think about product sales, marketing, we all work together on things like a product-led growth strategy, as well as an account-based strategy to make sure that they operate as efficiently as possible. And I'm curious, with that type of an approach, how do you all drink your own champagne? How do you all use Vidyard? Well, how don't we use Vidyard might be a better question because <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it permeates in so much of what we do. First and foremost, our sales team are actively using video messages in their outreach and throughout their sales processes on a very consistent basis. And it's not just because they want to show off the product. It's because they genuinely get better results from it. When they are doing outbound prospecting into new accounts, they will send quick recorded videos as a way to introduce themselves, to, to present their value proposition, and to create that early connection. As new leads are identified in the system, so maybe they get an MQL or a marketing qualified lead pop to them because of a certain account that had a number of activities, they won't just make a call or send an email. They'll record a custom video for that account and send it over to multiple people there to introduce themselves again. They'll often say, hey, I noticed that you've been using Vidyard and I'm hoping you're being successful with it. I'd be happy to share with you a few of my own tips about how we use it. And so those short videos become a big part of what they do. 
On the marketing side, we use video extensively as part of our marketing programs, but not exclusively. We still create a ton of other forms of content, but video becomes very complementary and an important data signal for us as a marketing team. So as we are creating product demo videos, explainer videos, thought leadership videos, customer stories, those are all going out on multiple channels and we're tracking on the back end. Where are we seeing the most engagement? Who are we seeing consume this content? And can that also feed back into our scoring model? So the neat thing is at the end of the day, the sales team may get a lead flip to them because they have two free users and 10 people from that company watched five different videos in the last week, right? Those are all different signals that all flow in to say, help us with our demand gen and qualification process. Taking a step back and looking at video holistically, you recently wrote last year, The Visual Sale, uh, or co-wrote the book, The Visual Sale, how to use video to explode sales, drive marketing, grow your business in a virtual world. Obviously, the world is even more virtual than it was in last October when the book came out. And to me, from where I sit as someone who creates podcasts and videos for 30 plus companies, video is still like pretty dumb when you think about it. Obviously, it can be way smarter, but the types of insights and different things that that we're able to get from video is still yeah. not that, that good or people is not being widely adopted. And a tool like Vidyard for marketing to be able to know how your videos are not just doing on an individual basis, but overall seems super exciting. I'm curious, first off, why'd you write the book? But second off, how is video going to be involved in, in every marketer's toolkit going forward? Yeah, I mean, it already is, but even more so. Yeah, no, I mean, but you're absolutely right. It, it really is still early days for most marketing teams to figure out how to how to make video really work for them. And most still have a fairly siloed view on the role that video plays. Some organizations will have the mindset of, oh yeah, video is primarily a social media tool. And we create videos for our social channels because the algorithms love it and therefore we shall do that. Yep. Others see videos as just a great way to do product demos because they have a complex product and that's kind of where it fits for them. Others will see video as a great way to deliver customer testimonials because they have really passionate raving customers and they come across most effectively through a medium like video. I could go on with other siloed use cases, but the reality is today video is a great way to do all of those things, right? And it really is as simple as it is an impactful and compelling and very personal way to deliver your important messages whether those are how to accomplish a certain task, whether they are part of your thought leadership strategy and answering questions your audience might be asking. They might be short videos that explain how to do certain things within your product. They may be short or long testimonials from customers. There's all these different ways video can manifest itself. And up until the last few years, it was costly and complex to do a lot of video. That's where it was really a barrier. And people will go, oh, we just do it over there because if we do it everywhere else, I don't even know how I would afford that or manage it. But the reality is today, there are very approachable ways, very cost-effective ways to do video at greater scale. And so that's what we're starting to see is this scaling the use of video across these different programs. Having more teams, demand teams, social teams, content teams, thinking about where does video content fit into what we're delivering? How can it help us better tell this story or answer this question. But then you start to ask, and one of the reasons that we as Vidyard are around is as you start to do that, and as you start to say, well, great, instead of producing 
three videos, we're going to produce 30 videos, micro videos that do all these things. Now you start to say, well, I need better tracking on this to know what's really working because I am putting more energy and effort into it. But also as part of my demand gen strategy, right? The thing I love about eBooks and PDFs are that I can gate them and I can track and know who downloaded them, right? I hate everything else about them, but that one thing I really like about them. Do people actually read them? I don't know, right? But I can gate them and use them as lead gen. So in that world though, where you say, if you're listening right now and you're nodding and you're going, you're right, Tyler, we should be doing more video, but then you go, but wait, what happens to all of our tracking? How do we know when people are watching these videos? Because I know when they were downloading the ebook. Well, those are some of the things that tools like Vidyard allow you to do. And you can start to track and know, hey, Ian watched this video 80% of the way through, and that feeds into your marketing automation platform, which then adds to your lead scoring. And so now instead of always just flipping a lead based on them downloading an ebook, now you go, oh, I know that he watched this much of this video. And those analytics start to become really, really important as you make video more an integrated part of what you do. I've got a really wonderful example of this that that a lot of folks will be able to relate to. A simple story from Marketo. I'm sure those of you listening are more than likely familiar with Marketo, of course, part of Adobe now. But Marketo is a very well-known marketing automation platform. And Marketo themselves, on their website a few years ago, they switched from their main call to action from being talk to sales or book a demo to a new call to action that was watch a demo or see a product tour. And a couple things happened. Number one, their conversion rates on their website went through. It was actually more than, I'll say the number slowly, a 1000% increase in conversion rates on their main calls to action because people actually want to watch a demo. They don't want to talk to sales or book a demo. They actually want to watch a demo. So they went, okay, great. Way more people are engaging on the website and they want to watch these demos. But then what they did is they put a little form in front of it. So you did have to unlock this demo experience. But then once you did, you were presented with this beautiful page of like nine different demos where you could actually see what they do. So it was a great experience for the site visitor. But it was even a better experience for the marketers at Marketo because behind the scenes, they're now tracking which of those videos did you watch? How long did you watch each of them? And if you spent more than five minutes, 10 minutes watching those videos, you would immediately become a qualified lead for the sales team. And it it transformed the way they generated leads and pipeline from their website. They went from the old model of a big button that says book a demo that creates a lead for the sales team and you get like one of those a day to this model where they'd get 20 people a day watching those demos and 10 of them would qualify because they binged on all this content and they were using those video analytics to accelerate it. So it's just a really simple example of like, oh yeah, you're right. Video can be a better experience for the audience, but the data can be so valuable to fuel our demand gen programs. And that's what we're starting to see more and more companies doing. And, and our, our amazing sponsor, the show Qualified, would jump their head in and say, hey, and, and, and you could use Qualified to, to chat with that person on the website in real time. There you go. Conversational there you go. sales and marketing. But so so interesting that you say that. So unpacking a few different things there. Number one, when Caspian sits down with, with, with a company, they're so often because we do podcasts and, and video series, right? So where do you put your right. where do you put your videos? Okay, well we like shove them in this 
corner of the website with a tag that says videos. And then we have obviously our demo video at a certain spot. And we have the, your key performing videos in certain different areas of the website. And then kind of like the rest of them are just kind of like there, right? Yeah, yeah. And usually what's so interesting to me is even these, even like large companies, but I'll say like companies around like 50 to 100 million in revenue type size companies or, or, or more than that, yeah, up to a billion in revenue type companies has so little video. <laughs> it's like oh, astonishing yeah. how little they have on their website. Almost all their stuff is, is geared towards written. And if they do have video, almost none of that stuff is actually edited in any way that's, that's, it's usually just kind of like dropping something on there. And then, then if they do have the customer videos, like you said, it's something that's like, okay, we're going to spend the money. We're going to do the highly produced customer success. We're going to actually send a, a team there. And, and a lot of the stuff when we're talking to people to increase the number of videos, like you said, to get like, can we get to 30 pieces of content? Can we put these in different places on the website? It's like just getting the the framework there to have a bunch of different video channels that that support all of those different use cases that you said. And then the step after that is kind of like, how does the architecture allow all of these things to work in concert so you can see, right. oh, this same person has been clicking around to all these different pages. They've watched four of our different videos, which is interesting is they watched the demo, then they watched three customer videos, then they did all that stuff. That's where we all want to get to. But so many teams, yeah. they don't have the video content there to begin with. And then once the person is in that moment in real time, then they still have to go like submit a lead and go through the whole lead process, which takes another right. amount of time. It's like, they just have spent the past 25 minutes watching videos on your site. Like somebody freaking talk to that person right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's a big part of, I mean, what I think is, is a bit of the today and, and a lot of the future of demand gen, which is a focus on engagement based scoring and qualification as opposed yeah. to activity based. And I would rather know that somebody spent two minutes watching this video than that they downloaded this ebook, right? Because yeah. the download of an ebook is an activity. It's not engagement. It's not a demonstration of active consumption or of intent. It is an indication of interest, but the real indication of engagement and, and intent is did they actually spend time with it? Because time is their most valuable asset. And, and that's what a lot of this comes down to. So that whole notion of being able to track and know this person watched this video over here for three minutes. They watch this one, but only for 10 seconds. So you know what? That doesn't even count. They loved the thumbnail image, yeah. but they bailed right away, right? That's a very different viewer. And then somebody went over here and watched this on-demand webinar for 30 minutes on this topic, right? Like those are incredible signals. And to your point on a lot of these businesses aren't doing a lot of video, one of the challenges they often face is, well, yeah, how do I create all this content? Because I need to scale that. So there are ways to solve that. But then we're back to this point of like, if I do that, how does this tie back into my systems? My lead scoring models break down. And it's partly just because they, they haven't thought through that alternative path to say, all right, in the old world, I scored these ebook downloads. In this new world, if I have the right tools, I can track those video engagements. I can know that this lead watched those different videos. I can get that data into my marketing automation and my CRM, and I can use it actively. And then you're like, okay, now we're cooking. Now we can figure this stuff out. We've got the content strategy. We know how we can use the data. Giddy up, let's go. But very few businesses, honestly, in the percentage wise, are at that point where they understand the content strategy and the data strategy for video 
They figured it out for static content a while ago, but video is still a mystery for a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and then obviously a uh, huge part of this, like you said, is, is that they have to create it. I think the other thing too, in terms of the video creation piece is like you said, you, you have all these different types of, of content that you want to make. And I think that so often we don't tier our spending based off of or maybe we, maybe we do, but we, we tear our spending of like, okay, the demo video that we're going to show, we're going to spend, you know, whatever, a million bucks creating this amazing demo video, maybe not a million, but we're going to spend a bunch of money on this demo video. The next tier, we're going to spend a bunch on three key customer videos. And then we're just kind of guess and figure out the rest. And what's so beautiful about the new day and age is there's a lower barrier to great content yes. out there because you can make something way better than you than you ever could way cheaper and those type of things can be really good and the and the viewers don't necessarily need every single thing to be Netflix quality storytelling but you also can look at things in different sort of buckets like you could have a more story driven approach you could have a more practical approach you can have tips and tricks type of approach you can have more of a show you can have customer videos like all of those different things you can vary your storytelling types which to me is the most exciting part because there's people who like to watch 60 minutes or watch the news. There's people who <laughs> don't do that at all. People consume content in such different ways and they want different formats and this allows them to opt into that. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you are 100% spot on. For those of you just listening, I'm, I'm nodding my head like crazy over here because it's like you, you couldn't be more right. And this this whole notion of there's cheaper, more efficient ways to produce content these days. But it's also, in many cases, that is what actually what audiences are preferring for a lot of types of content. Exactly. They don't want the drone footage. The customer stories is a great example where I'm still an advocate of saying there's probably a few major customer stories that you really want to put the work into. You want to produce it as a beautiful story. They have their place. But if I had, let's call it $30,000 to go out and make customer videos, Rather than make one big $30,000 video, I would much rather create five $6,000 videos with a variety of different customers who represent different types of audiences that I'm reaching out to, right? And the sales team is going to love that because they're like, this one video is great, but it only applies to a few customers I talk to. I'd rather a simpler video about somebody in this industry. I can use that. So go out and find five different customers do little micro stories about them. But again, you don't always necessarily have to send a full crew on site to do a big production. Sometimes, frankly, you can even do these remote today. Yeah, that's what we do. And we do everything yeah. remote. Yeah, we don't even go on site anymore. We will if, if, if a customer wants to go shoot some stuff on site, but we built a studio, we've done all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, like the vast majority of these you can do on site. We're working with a client right now where the, the most important thing is, is being able to have their sales team literally is just begging them to do 15 to 30 second videos of a customer saying something about, about their product. If we can get 20 of those type of videos, that's like a slam dunk win. And obviously we make podcasts and series that are like show driven. The sales team is like banging on the table, like, please just deliver this. And we hear that stuff yeah. all the time. And it's yeah. really, it's just, it's just a fascinating, like when sales is begging for it, like just deliver, it's not that yeah. hard. Yeah. Anyways, we could go, you know, deep into that of like the <laughs> tactics of how to... I, I can answer your other question now. 
all of what we're talking about is why we wrote the book, The Visual Sale, because there are all these ideas out there. And, and, and I've had the chance to work with hundreds of different businesses on their video content strategy and see what works, what doesn't, how are they approaching it. And my co-author, Marcus Sheridan, he's been able to do so as well through a different lens and working mostly with smaller businesses. So the, the whole idea with The Visual Sale, the book, was to come together, Marcus and I, and to honestly like do this brain dump of what are all these different use cases that we're seeing for video out there through both marketing and sales? What are some of the latest best practices for how to create that content at scale? The importance of and how you use the data and the analytics and lots of stories in there of other companies who have done this effectively with lots of examples for what's worked for them that people can lean on. So it was actually really fun pulling the book together because, again, it was this great excuse to go out and revisit the market and go, what are all these different ways people are using video? And let's bring it together. No one person reading the book is going to do everything that's in there, right? I've had people send me those notes. They're like, Tyler, there's too much in here. I've got sticky notes on every page. There's too much for me. I don't know where to start. And often I have to say to them, well, don't start with saying, I need to do a lot of video. Just pull back to like, what are the biggest challenges you face? Where are you trying to see some incremental improvements? And start there. Go to that chapter, right? Start with those videos. But know that over time, you've got a roadmap to adding more and more to your portfolio. So anyway, that, uh, yeah, there, there's lots more about that. And then that was a big part to us doing it. Last question on video before we get to the playbook. Where should videos live? Should our listeners be putting them on YouTube and Vimeo and this and that and whatever should they should they sit on their website should they be on social channels where where should people be posting them Well the answer to that is in the book and you'll have to go buy it to find <laughs> it no, I'm just kidding We do talk about it quite a bit but the the answer as with so many things in this world and I'm sorry to say it but it is it depends on the kind of content where you're trying to reach your audience and and so on but generally speaking a lot of the video content that you are creating should absolutely have a home on your website where when you are promoting it, when you're driving people to engage with you, when they're on your website surfing around and looking for things, they should be able to find it, consume it on your website, on your branded properties. Um, now, in addition to that, however, YouTube is, of course, a great channel for a lot of kinds of your video content. Don't let your YouTube channel become your video retirement home where it's just a place where all your videos go to, you know, collect <laughs> dust and age over time. Because actually, you might say, well, what's, what's the harm? Like, is there a downside to just putting all my videos on my YouTube channel? And the answer is yes, because people will not be able to find the stuff that's actually relevant to them on YouTube, and they'll ignore the whole channel as a result. So content that really is not about you, right? Like your product videos and stuff, I don't know. I wouldn't put them on your YouTube channel. But things that are more thought leadership, that are broad market, series-based, talking about problems, talking about challenges, those sorts of things go really well on YouTube. Especially if they're SEO optimized, right? Yes. Well, and that's also the nuance of when you, like, let's say you and I make this video and you're going to put it up as a way to engage your prospects and customers. I would encourage you to say, absolutely, put it up on YouTube and there you want to title it, you want to index it, you want to tag it in ways that are SEO optimized for YouTube to maximize the number of people who can find it and come inbound and engage with it. On your website, you should also have this, but it should not be in a YouTube player. It should be hosted by a platform like a Vidyard where you can custom brand the player experience on your website. 
And when people watch it, you can track and know who that person was and that data can flow back into your systems. Because YouTube doesn't give you that data back and that's one of its biggest challenges. Exactly. In addition to not being able to control the experience. So there's often that like dual or more distribution strategy where you say, should be on my website, we should have our own controlled video hosting and publishing platform that we're using to put it there where we have more control over the experience, we can track more data, we can add our own calls to action, all of those things. But then you can also have them on your YouTube channel, publish natively to the social platforms. And in those cases, they'll play back in those native players, but they serve a slightly different purpose than the version on your website. Let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you talked about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? So I'll start with, I mean, email is actually something that still works extremely well. And once you've build up, built up a strong base of an audience, email marketing is for us actually still a very efficient and effective mode of communication and engagement. So I will not cut email marketing out of the mix. It's a big play for us. Content, I know it's a big bucket. It's a very general topic, but content, 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 so, so important, both for inbound and thought leadership, but also as a mechanism to support email marketing programs, direct campaigns, as well as the sales team and empowering them with tools that they can use as part of their direct sales process. So my content program, I'm absolutely holding on to. And finally, Social media, broad strokes, we're finding to be really, really important as part of our strategy. LinkedIn is our primary channel because of the audiences we serve, particularly salespeople. That's a great place for them. So I'm going to hold on to those as well. So some somewhat traditional channels, if you will, but the way we use them today is very different from how we used them uh, years ago. You created a a, a content series called Sales Feed. Can you share a little bit about that? So Sales Feed is a, a very interesting and new initiative that isn't just a content series. It is a full-blown media brand for, in this case, the sales community. And this stemmed down of us wanting to think a little bit further ahead from a brand perspective of how do we build up a community in the world of sales, one of the audiences that we, we sell to, but get outside of just those people who care about what we do, which is using video in sales. So the Vidyard brand has done a great job of establishing itself as a, a known brand in the world of video for sales. But we said, how do we go beyond that? And we decided, and I, I don't have the results yet, so I can't tell you if this worked, but we decided to go with the approach of creating this separate media brand called SalesFeed that would be creating other forms of content and media for the broader sales world to build up a community around that that wasn't tied to Vidyard as a vendor or a brand. And that separation was actually really important for us. And I've hired a team of four people that are dedicated to SalesFeed, that all they're doing is creating content and creating programs for SalesFeed which is 100% about, are we maximizing engagement in the world of sales? Are we getting as many followers and subscribers as we can because they just love what we're putting out there? And it doesn't matter if it ties back to Vidyard or video, we wanna build that community, we wanna build that trust, we wanna create that opportunity in the market with it. 
And um, that's the approach we're taking. So it's really a content program on steroids. And it is focused on new forms of media. We're creating a lot of short form video, a lot of things focused on YouTube, as well as TikTok and Instagram. And we're doing a lot of entertainment content as part of it. We're doing a lot of pure entertainment because we found through our research that salespeople love to laugh at themselves. They find, <laughs> you know, they all love their sales memes. Well, we're actually producing a whole bunch of other entertainment content for them that is getting amazing feedback from the community. So it's interesting to see. We're building a pretty big following around it. We're not yet sure how or if we're going to convert those people to Vidyard customers. That's the next phase of it to uh, to figure out. Yeah, I love it. I'm super excited to, to follow along. We'll have to check back in in a year and, and hear how it all right. went. Because obviously, I think that stuff like this is is pretty necessary for people who want to engage with a pretty competitive audience, which is salespeople. I think it's I think it's a really cool initiative. Yeah, and I said content series. I should say it is multiple, multiple different content series within the brand of SalesFeed. So for our listeners, go check it out and maybe get some ideas for for your marketing stuff. Okay, let's get to our next segment, Quick Hits. These are quick questions with quick answers just like conversational marketing with qualified. Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly with qualified, quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Tyler, are you ready? I am ready. Hidden skill or talent that's not on your resume? You know, video creation, I'm starting to get pretty good at it. I'm doing a lot of it myself, <laughs> and I'm having a lot of fun with it. So I'm hacking in there, I'm editing, and I'm going to take that one up as my next great skill. Favorite book, podcast, TV show that you've recently checked out? Uh, you know what? I love Ozark and I'm really excited about the next season coming out soon. So I'm just going to, I'm going to stick with that pure entertainment Ozark. Favorite non-marketing hobby that sort of maybe kind of indirectly makes you a better marketer? It's less of a hobby, more of a lifestyle. It is my kids. <laughs> I have children between the ages of six and 14, four of them, and watching them consume the world today is fascinating. And in fact, on SalesFeed, the media brand we were talking about, a few of our shows that we've produced are done in very YouTuber style. And a lot of that comes from me just observing my nine-year-old living on YouTube, spending more hours with Mr. Beast than he does with dad, and just sort of figuring out like, what's going on there? And my 14-year-old daughter who basically lives on TikTok, it's like, what is going on there? Why is he so obsessed with that? And when you just like, when you start to peel into it, it's really fascinating. So spending time with my kids makes me such a better marketer and more in tune with where things are heading. You got to be careful. You're going to be marketing to 11 year old customers <laughs> at some point. Like all of my yep. marketing is geared towards, <laughs> is geared towards <laughs> preteens. That's awesome. I love it. I'm a new dad myself, so I'm trying to listen to the six-month-old to see if there's any tips, but nothing yet. <laughs> nothing yet. Not yet, but it's coming. Just wait until they, like, at the age of two, are proficient iPad users, yeah. and then you'll be like, what is going on? That's right. All right, last question here. What advice would you give to a first-time VP of marketing that is trying to figure out their demand strategy? Really obsess over understanding your audience. It's something that I feel I could have done a lot better in my early days as a marketer, spending more time effectively as a product marketer, really getting inside the heads, understanding at a minutia level, the kinds of people that we're going after, what channels do they live in? What kinds of content do they consume? Go deeper than just the persona 
and really obsess over that. Spend time on customer calls or listening to customer calls. Get feedback from your sales team on what are prospects and customers really saying and take that to heart because it can really influence the kinds of programs you run, the things you create, or frankly, the messaging that you put out there as a team. And uh, you as a leader need to instill that across your different groups of obsessing over the audience and doing things that resonate with them, not just doing things because they're what you want to do as a marketing team. I love it. Tyler, thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate it. We're excited to it. So follow along with sales feed and see what that ends up becoming. Thanks again for joining and we'll talk soon. Thank you. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.